You're listening to Rethinking Trade with Lori Wallach. Small business owners and farmers are protesting the green WTO and NAFTA are transnational forms of autocratic governance that support their own free trade. Seattle has never seen anything like it. Following tear gas, into the people's hands. Seattle has never seen anything like it. Mexican workers have faced threats of violence. Welcome back to Rethinking Trade, where we don't just talk about trade policy, we fight to change it. I'm Ryan, and I'm joined once again by our in-house trade expert, Lori Wallach. Lori, in one of our very first episodes, we talked about how decades of hyperglobalization have undermined our resilience against the COVID-19 crisis, and how the government has to actively intervene in the economy to rebuild a domestic manufacturing base. Today, we wanted to update listeners on what has been and hasn't been happening since that time. Let's start with an overview of the big picture. What does the pandemic look like today from a trade policy perspective? So on the one hand, the expected shift towards more domestic supply chains in response to what proved from COVID to be enormous vulnerabilities in this country, but around the world, created by hyperglobalization and these very thin, brittle, globalized supply chains. This has not happened as quickly as one might hope and expect. In part, the corporations, the big multinationals, the Amazons and other mega retailers who've made a lot of money on that race to the bottom, hyper-globalized system of sweat labor supply chains and just-in-time production are very keen to maintain that system, which prioritizes their profits and what they would consider efficiencies, no redundancy, over reliance, reliability of supply and, and deliverability of critical goods. And so they're pushing back. And also, We've had that system being pushed for the last 25 years of the World Trade Organization, the NAFTA free trade agreement model. So it's a steamliner heading in the wrong direction. It takes a long time to turn. The evidence of that is that we have seen increased imports from China into the US of the medical supplies we've needed from personal protective equipment, PPE, to different kinds of medicines that we've needed to deal with the COVID crisis. We have seen a lot of spending domestically as people are stuck at home and not spending more on restaurants and on travel, on kitchen goods, you know, fancy ovens and other things, a bunch of which are imported, so our trade deficit has gone up. Interestingly, the WTO has reported that contrary to the cheerleaders of the corporate globalization model, there haven't been a lot of enduring trade barriers. So countries didn't use emergency tools to shut down trade and force domestic sourcing. The WTO just issued a report that many of the trade restrictions, that emergency restrictions that have been put in place during the height of COVID have been lifted, and that actually, if anything, there's been more removal of trade barriers in an attempt to get the imported goods, that the production of which is over-concentrated in a few locations. 
And on the other hand, there have been some very inspiring moves by the Biden administration, which includes a supply chain review in some key sectors and also a Buy American executive order. Now, we also saw during the Trump administration some similar announcements and executive orders, and the proof is always in the pudding. The Trump administration didn't follow through. They had a lot of power and opportunities to do things just unilaterally without Congress. They didn't take them. The Biden administration has taken some specific steps, and we're going to have to watch carefully to see if they actually follow through on all of it. Those specific steps are what my questions are based on. The first big item I wanted to tackle you you just mentioned, which is the supply chain review being conducted by the administration. What does this review entail? Like, what is it? What's its purpose? And what is the status of it? In the spring, the Biden-Harris administration announced they would do a 100-day review to figure out the weaknesses in and plans to strengthen certain critical supply chains. And they picked three sectors, and they picked three important sectors, critical medicines, critical minerals, the production and processing of, so for instance, the the minerals used in making cell phones and other communications equipment, and then also semiconductors, and then also the supply chain for batteries, electric batteries, which is to say the sort of advanced batteries that are used for electric cars. And on June 8th, they published a report. It was perhaps the first time since Alexander Hamilton (laughs) that the U.S. laid out a detailed industrial policy in writing. And I'm only slightly exaggerating. The report itself was incredibly inspiring. It laid bare the deep flaws in the current system in a way that I would say, as someone who's observed these issues for 30 years, one could hardly have ever predicted would come out of the U.S. government and was quite smart in laying out the ways in which the old regime failed. And I know that wasn't easy. Because some of the agencies, and for that matter, even President Biden, had supported the past policies that led to these problems. So in that regard, it was incredibly impressive and hopeful, because the only way you get a different outcome is when you start to admit that the status quo didn't work. And it takes, you know, it takes bravery (laughs) if you were part of hoping those old policies would work and pushing them. And some of the proposed changes of how to fix the problem were also really inspiring and were spot on and were things you would never expect to come out of any U.S. administration. And by the way, weren't the kind of things that the Trump administration dug into, neither in detail of thinking it through and figuring out the solutions as compared to a bunch of superficial rhetoric that also are not compatible with the status quo big business model. So now the proof is going to be in the pudding about whether those kind of changes actually get made. And they were changes proposed across the board using existing authorities, things that the executive branch could do in their own capacity with respect to strengthening the Buy America policies and Buy American policies, which has to do with the government using government procurement resources to shape the market. It included changes in the tax code. It included uses of the Defense Production Act 
for the government to create demand and incentives for changes. And it really, if implemented, could make some big differences. And now we need to see if it gets implemented. Another big item, and you just mentioned this, is the modifications the administration has made to Buy American rules. We've covered this at length in previous episodes, so listeners can go back and get even deeper into this topic. But maybe you could give us a quick introduction to what these policies are and then talk more about what is being done and what hasn't yet been done in relation to the Buy American rules in the context of the pandemic, especially. So again, here, the good news is the administration's executive order on Buy American and Buy America was quite broad. It covered all the programs. It covered a lot of the needed territory and proposes to increase the domestic content rule for what qualifies as Buy American, which right now is just 55% of the value of a good needs to be American-made, which is pretty pathetic. But unfortunately, it didn't really close the biggest loophole. And that is even that 55% rule is waived entirely with respect to any government procurement over a certain threshold value that's about $180,000, which for the federal government means most of the contracts, most of them are bigger than $180,000. Because under our trade agreements, Buy American is waived for 60 countries that have trade agreement procurement agreements that basically guarantee that these foreign countries, companies, and products get treated as if they were made in the U.S. for Buy American. It's called the Trade Agreements Act waiver, and it is the exception that eats the rule. And the way that works is not only do goods from Hong Kong, which now is China, And from Mexico and Japan and Korea and all of Europe, not only are those treated, Taiwan, treated as if they were from the U.S., and the government gives equal credit, equal purchasing priority to those goods, but almost worse, any good over that threshold, the domestic content rule is waived whether or not that country has a trade agreement. So that means that all that has to happen is the last step in processing has to happen in America. And there are companies that have gotten so skilled in doing this that they basically like can construct the better part of a whole building with all of its walls poured, the plumbing in there, the electrical in there, different pieces of you know built-in furniture in there. They ship those on barges. And then as long as like the whole building is put together, all that content, all that value that is considered meeting the Buy American rule for all of those goods that are in that building. Or with respect to Buy America, that is the final assemblies happening here. Now, Buy America is stricter than Buy American. So I don't want to simplify this. I want everyone who wants to know the details to go to our website at tradewatch.org and go to the procurement section. And we have a memo that lays out all of these issues and and where the gaps and flaws are. But the thing to know is that the executive order, like Trump's executive order on Buy American, doesn't close this huge loophole. And that's a problem. The president did say that they would, as a candidate, that they would be closing these loopholes. And in some of his initial statements, they they said that they would. And now the executive order doesn't. What the executive order does do is it asks for a bunch of data. And there's a hearing this very week about what the flaws are in the current data keeping, because it's so sloppy 
we don't really know what is really domestic versus what is just assembled here without domestic content versus what is from one of those 60 countries versus what is domestic content and assembled here. So it's really hard to know what's really going on. And as a result, the data makes it look like there's less of a problem than we know that there is. So with respect to the Buy American and Buy America rules, that executive order is one big piece. The other big piece is the infrastructure bill. So the House infrastructure bill explicitly didn't prioritize that trade agreement waiver, but the Senate version does. And now there's a lot of pressure to just use the Senate version because the vote was so narrow there and it almost didn't pass at all. The Senate version does expand Buy America. That's the construction money. And it has it go to a lot more programs and money going down to the states. And that's great. And it strengthens the rules with respect to U.S. made iron and steel. And that's great. But it doesn't really fix the Buy America problem. And it doesn't fix the waiver there. So there's a lot more work to be done there. And there is, you know, enormous opportunity in the existing statute where the president, just like President Biden can do this now, President Trump could have and didn't, can use existing authority to simply waive that trade agreement exception. The president can just take that away. And that would certainly be something that would be smart. And if you, again, go to our website, tradewatch.org, you can see letters from very senior members of the House and Senate urging him to do that very thing, President Biden. So my final question also involves reports and data and things you can find on the Public Citizen website, which is the fact that so a lot of these measures that we've been discussing haven't been fully enacted yet. And so the trade data, the deficit report still shows a rising U.S. trade deficit in manufactured goods. So the recent analysis on the website, on the Public Citizen website, suggests that 2021 could actually be a record high. Can you talk about the Census Bureau's trade data report and some of the things you found most meaningful in it? What's in the analysis that we published? Here's the thing for folks to know. It looks like the 2021 annual trade deficit could top $1 trillion for the first time in U.S. history. And that's just horrific and astonishing. However, that says something different than what you'd normally expect, which is to say what that says most, and this is where our analysis points out, is that the U.S. has had an economic recovery from the COVID recession that is faster and broader than most other countries. So we're actually our consumers have started to buy stuff. Our demand has increased. At the same time, Ryan, as you just pointed out, these initiatives by the Biden administration, which has you know, been in office for seven months now, have not had an opportunity to go into effect. So to the extent that the U.S. has had an economic recovery and people want to buy stuff, the supply chains still are largely those old ones. So there aren't you know, yet great opportunities. If the supply chain review brings those named supply chains home, if the Buy American and Buy America improvements actually happen with the waiver closed, and as a result, there's more domestic government demand for goods, and as a result, there's more investment, and as a result, there are more opportunities for folks to be able to buy American-made everything, then that change hasn't happened yet, even though the demand has picked up. So as a result, what we see is our imports are way up because we want to buy stuff, but we don't have it domestically made yet. And, you know, please that the Biden administration falls through so that in a couple of years that data doesn't look like that. At the same time, in the rest of the world, there still is much more of a recession going on. 
So our exports stay down. There isn't demand for our stuff. And because we have demand here, our imports go up. And so we have a pretty whopping trade deficit. The COVID phenomenon and the economic implications of it really are overshadowing what otherwise we could see in the trade data. Because for instance, there's another indicator about manufacturing. It's a study that it is done that you know every month looks at sort of the projections for supply chain and manufacturing, and that and domestically, and that is that that number is up. That's that's doing fairly well. So normally you wouldn't see that number go up and the trade deficit go up at the same time, but that is that is the COVID effect. I think we're all incredibly impatient to see the horrors of the COVID lessons about hyperglobalization quickly translate into more domestic investment, more domestic manufacturing, more resilience, more reliability for all of us, more good manufacturing jobs. The proof is going to be in the pudding over time. And the Biden administration is going to have a fight in its hands with all these corporations that want to do the same old, same old, you know, China's too expensive, let's make it in Vietnam kind of agenda of manufacturing. And I think they're going to stick to their guns only if we really all are pushing to make that happen. Because the counter push is going to be enormous and there is a lot of inertia of this old system. But I think what we see in what the Biden administration's supply chain reviews and what their Buy America order is showing is there are a lot of people in there now, unlike any pastime, high level Biden administration officials who deeply understand the problem and really do want to change. And as frustrating as it may be that's not going as fast as we want or there are parts of it that aren't done. It behooves us all to basically make common cause with those allies and really push hard to try and help those folks on the inside who want to make these changes because it's a unique opportunity. It's the first time in 30 years of my doing this work that that possibility even exists. And so we need to make it work for us. You can check the description of this podcast for links to both of the reports that we discussed in the episode. Rethinking Trade is produced by Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. To learn more, you can visit rethinktrade.org. You can also visit tradewatch.org. Stay tuned for more, and thank you for listening.